from the Auto Line Studios. Here is your host, John McElroy. Thanks for joining us on AutoLine this week, where the discussion is all about engines. Automakers are knocking their brains out, trying to come out with better engines that get better fuel economy, fewer emissions, but still are affordable for most people. Ward's Auto World has been testing engines for 21 years now and awarding their 10 best list. And I've got three of the editors on the magazine with us right now, starting with the editor-in-chief, Drew Winter. Christy Schweinsberg and Tom Murphy. I want to thank you all for coming on and explaining what the 10 best is all about for 2015. And Drew, you're the the editor-in-chief. What really stood out in this year's competition? Well, I think the main thing was uh, this is, I think, the most diverse list of engines we've ever tested. Uh, We've got uh, everything from a uh, um, hydrogen-powered fuel cell Hyundai uh, to the uh, Chrysler Hellcat, which is you know just just a, just a um, uh, crazy muscle car, and then everything in between with uh, um, three cylinder. We have two three cylinder engines on the list. We've got uh, 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 you know the staple uh, four cylinder turbos, and um, just a bunch of other things in between. Some really interesting uh, EVs and extended range EVs. The whole uh, whole uh, menu of interesting engines this year. That is quite the mix. Uh, Christy, did you guys pick up on any trends or things that you think are really worth pointing out? Well, um, certainly the Turbo 4 trend continues and probably this is the most we had 15, Turbo 4s. We had 15 four-cylinder turbos out of 37 engines evaluated, 15 of them. <laughs> 37 engines? Yeah. That's a lot of testing. That's 27 all new or improved plus the 10 from last year. And, and, Tom, how do you go through your evaluation? How, how do you whittle down that, that list of 37 it's to the tough. top, it's top tough. 10? It's, it's a scoring process. We start by getting the vehicles in the office. We have them uh, you know, in, in uh, Southfield, Michigan, uh, October and November. So we, we have all eight editors at Wards who are driving the vehicles and then doing score sheets on every one of them. So scoring horsepower and torque and NVH and technology, of course, we're taking that into account, and observed fuel economy and um, and then, you know, once we have those scores, that's the leaping off point of our, of our arguments and our debates about which ones belong on and which ones don't. So you have all these spreadsheets that show the size, the power, the fuel economy, all that sort of Torque thing. Torque charts, compression ratios, bore and stroke, we look at all of it. So, Christy, walk me through a little bit. You, you get in a car, you start it up. What are you trying to evaluate as you drive these things? Uh, torque, torque off the line, you know, where does the peak torque come in? Um, typically, we prefer you know, a good amount of mid-range torque, or at least I do. Um, and then, yes, we, you know, zero the, uh, the trip computer and we, observe, you know, observe fuel economy. Um, and Tom was even calculating the old-fashioned way this year just to make sure that that computer was telling for a couple us the of truth. Them. Yeah. Um, we're listening for, uh, for noise. Is the noise excessive or is it appropriate for the application? You know, certainly with a Hellcat, you're not going to judge it too harshly for noise because that's part of the fun, right? Um, vibration. Uh, there were some vehicles I drove this year that I thought had uncharacteristic amounts of, of vibration, you know, when you're holding the steering wheel and it's just constantly jittery. Um, and yes, the technology, you know, is, is, is a fuel cell vehicle worth extra points? Um, is a 6.2 liter V8 worth extra points? You know, uh, those types of things. 
Drew, how do you keep that straight in your mind? I mean, to go from a 707 horsepower Hellcat V8 to a fuel cell car. I mean, how, how do you keep that separate in your mind in terms of trying to evaluate which do I think is really better? Well, you know, it's, it's because we do, we do it. I mean, Tom's really the expert explaining this, but, but um, you know, we look at each in, in, in its class or, or, or where it relates to other similar vehicles, not necessarily directly uh, comparing one to another. So that's why we get a list with a, 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 a good variety um, of 10 best engines and we're not a you know we're not an enthusiast list we're not a green list um, uh, we're, we're, we're trying to really look at engineering achievement uh, and and also with with things like fuel economy and efficiency and all the targets that really that that engineers have to meet so there's a lot of things that go into it but we've been doing this for so long and we we all love it so much it's not it's not that hard is it that Really not that hard. I, right. I, I come back to the, the Hellcat versus the fuel cell. He's, he's right. You know, you get into a rhythm at this time of year, all of us do, where we just know we're going to have to spend a lot of time in cars and really pay close attention to a lot of things. And you got to do your score sheets pretty quickly after you drive the car, otherwise you forget. Um, and, yeah, you just get into this rhythm of gathering all this information, and eventually, you know, the best engines do rise to the top. It's it's just kind of fun. Okay. Sorry, well, well, I think really if we had a 10, the awards 10 or uh, 15 best engines, it'd probably be pretty easy to do every year. But it's really, I think about the last five that really, that's when people really start to get angry and feelings get hurt when people don't think their engines are so great. And it's just, it, <laughs> that's, that's the There's only 10 spots. Yeah. yeah. Well, to use a bad pun, let's bore into mm -hmm. some of those sure. engines. And yeah. let's start with those three cylinders. Talk about those. That's so interesting. Two of them at kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, one was the Fiesta with that three-cylinder EcoBoost. The Ford and, Fiesta. Yeah, yeah, Ford Fiesta. And then also the uh, Mini Cooper uh, with a three-cylinder. Uh, you know, quite a bit more horsepower and torque in, in the Mini. Uh, that's, you know, that's a 1.5 liter versus a 1 liter in the, you know, in the uh, Fiesta. Um, the fuel economy was outstanding in the Fiesta. Uh, and in the Mini, you get this driving enjoyment. One of the editors said, if I was buying a Mini, I would pick no other engine but this one. Why would I need anything bigger? And that's the base engine? It's the base yeah. engine, and you know, 30 miles per gallon is easy. You know, you can really kind of feather it and do, do much better than that. Um, so, and, and you know, the fuel economy is even better in the Fiesta. Uh, so it was, yeah, it's interesting to, to have three-cylinder engines on, on our list. I mean, I wasn't sure I'd ever see the day. But. Especially in the United States. Right. I mean, I can see in other markets around the world where they first started, but yeah. to see them in the U.S. market is truly uh, an inflection point, as they say. But, Christy, you were talking about some engines that had a lot of vibration to them. Was that the three-cylinder ones? No, no, actually not. No, I won't name names. But okay. No, <laughs> actually, there were some that were... More in the luxury realm. No uh, kidding, because yeah. a three-cylinder, you'd expect to be inherently unbalanced. So mm -hmm. they must have balance shafts in those things to Well, actually, out. well, the, the BMW, the, the Mini does have balance shafts, but, but really one of the things that impressed me about the, the Ford EcoBoost is it does not have balance shafts because that would have added too much cost. And um, so they came up with a very innovative strategy to... Um, uh, counteract this inherent rocking motion that you get in um, um, three-cylinder engines. And so that uh, 
they saved cost and they improved fuel economy because they, you know, they, they got rid of some, some uh, reciprocating parts and everything. So it was it, it really a cheap entry-level engine, but represents a huge amount of engineering and uh, a lot of accomplishment. It was, it was cool. What kind of fuel economy? economy did you get? Because I've heard some people getting 40 miles per gallon with the three-cylinder in the we, Fiesta. Uh, in the Fiesta, yeah, 38 miles per gallon was, was that's easy. For you know? a non-hybred car, that's, yeah, that's yeah. a pretty good number. Yeah, and a five-speed manual and, and, and us beating it to death, really. Yeah. I mean, it was... <laughs> with the Mini, it, it was closer to 30-31. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those are combined numbers that you're talking those are, about? Those were our numbers, so... Every driver is driving a different cycle. You know, some, like, Christy and I live close to our office, so there's no highway driving. Other people have a longer commute, so they're more likely to see a better fuel economy number. But every car is going to have a different driving cycle. Sometimes a car is going to get driven out to a press event in Ann Arbor or something. That's a good chance to wind up your fuel economy numbers. And some vehicles don't. And sometimes the loan, you know, the time of the loan can be a factor. Uh, We had the Corvette in. Uh, in really bad weather, so um, people were a little reluctant about, you know, how much do I want to drive this when it's, you know, when it's snowy and icy out. We're in uh, a lot of burnouts there. Not a lot of burnouts, but it made the list. <laughs> <laughs> so many turbo four-cylinder engines, and and they're all pretty good in my book. Yeah, yeah. How do you guys slice this up to pick the best of them? For us, it came down to fuel economy. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of good ones out there, but for us, the Volvo uh, S60, the T5 version, that's that's only the turbocharged version. They also have a T6, which is turbo and supercharged. More horsepower, more torque. Lots of fun to drive, but we found that the fuel economy wasn't as good, and we thought the T5 performance was outstanding. So we really liked you know, the idea of getting 30, 31 miles per gallon in a 2-liter turbo luxury car. Uh, so that stood out. The Subaru WRX, 2-liter uh, turbo boxer. Uh, excellent fuel economy, 27, 28 miles per gallon, once again, with you know, 268 horsepower. And then the third uh, Turbo 4 was the uh, Volkswagen Golf, uh, the 1.8 liter TSI. We also tested, of course, the Audi S3, which has the 2 liter version of that engine, uh, making uh, 300 horsepower or close to it. And then uh, the Volkswagen GTI, which is also a two-liter turbo, same engine family. Mini turbo. Then we had the uh, mini yeah, we had the Mini Cooper turbo. S, yeah, yeah two-liter so. turbo. But you know, we like the Volkswagen because the the price is right and the fuel economy is outstanding. Again, you know, 31, 32 miles per gallon. Um, you know, from a from an engine that is really composed at all levels. You know, if you're going wide open throttle or just sitting at idle at a stoplight, you know, the engine is just doing its job. Christy, where do you see the trend going? I mean, the U.S. market used to be V8 dominated. Mm -hmm. That's gone away, not gone away, but now V6s dominate. Are these turbo fours going to become the norm? Well, with CAFE regulations being what they are, you know, and and ramping up to be even stricter, um, I think, yes, you know, you'll still have V6s and V8s out there, but I think they're not going to be as prevalent as they used to be, and you're going to see more electrification and certainly more fuel cells because of um, CARB, California Resources Board, and the states that follow the CARB rules. um, Okay, so automakers are doing this because regulations are forcing them. Will consumers warm up to these turbo four engines like they have to V6s or even V8? I think that's a done deal. I mean, if you look at at the uh, uh, model mix now, uh, and, and a lot of luxury manufacturers now on their entry-level vehicles. Whether you're talking Audi, mm-hmm. Mercedes, BMW, uh, BMW, they're, they're, they all you know they offer all offer 
four-cylinder uh, turbos that are that are great. I think I think this has already happened. I mean, the, the number Cadillac. of six cylinders we're seeing really are more on the uh, uh, the high luxury side, where again in, in the luxury makes where they're very high output yeah. um, uh, engines and uh, replacing really V8 replacements. And um, now we're seeing, you know, all these all these great turbo fours, and now the, the the turbo threes are sneaking in on their territory. So we just keep going smaller and smaller. That's uh, a real trend plate. that I noticed this year. In fact, I wrote a story about it because it became really stark and apparent to me. I was I was disappointed with the disappearance of the naturally aspirated six cylinder engine. You know, think back ten years ago in our competition. You know, the Nissan VQ, the three liter, and then the three five V six. Uh, the Honda Accord uh, 3.5 liter, uh, Toyota with the Lexus 3.5, uh, Cadillac with the 3.6 liter V6. I mean, all those engines are still in production and they're good engines, but they haven't been updated. You know, these are, they've basically, you know, most of the market has kind of ignored the naturally aspirated six cylinders to do things like a two liter turbo that can deliver the same fuel economy, or that can deliver the same power, in some cases more power, and still hopefully getting similar or better fuel economy. How about hybrids? Any hybrids make the list this year? Well, it depends on if you define the, the BMW i3 as a hybrid because it, it's, it's a battery electric with an extended range an optional, generator, extended optional, range. two-cylinder, uh, but because it offers that option, that's one of the reasons why we put it on our list. Um, it's a very compelling electric vehicle all by itself uh, we found that the acceleration uh, was extremely linear, and and unlike some of the other electrics, by my opinion, I thought they kind of ran out of power, you know, in the higher part of the power band. But all with torque, the, no no horsepower, yeah. so to speak. But with the i3, I felt like there was so much more pull, you know, at higher speeds, at at higher RPM. Um, but yeah, that so no other hybrids. Uh, but you know, the extended range i3 is on there, and. We really like the i3 because you know it's it's it doesn't come across as a compliance car. It's not just for California or the Northeast. It is baked into their entire product portfolio. It's available at 280 out of 330 some showrooms around the United States. So BMW is doing this because they think this can still be a fun way to drive, get the BMW driving experience, and you know. Also, be zero emission. Well, and I, I like it because w we test a lot of electric cars now, and they do start to seem alike when when you just have the same basic components of the electric engines and whatnot. And and I think the ones that that won this year really stood out. Again, they had personality. The i3 uh, stands out as as something that it, it's a whole new look at personal transportation. There, I mean, it's it's an aspirational vehicle for. For people who I think who don't even like cars, you know, I mean, it's 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 really cool. It's interesting. It's just it's a different look at everything. And then we had the fuel cell uh, Hyundai, which which is just off the charts. I mean, well, you and I go back. I never thought we'd have a, a fuel cell powered car on our ten best engine list, and this really stands out. It's it, it the jump in technology that we've seen in the past ten or fifteen years is just incredible. But, you know, this fuel cell thing is still kind of an experiment, even though they are leasing them. Yeah. The, the numbers are minuscule, minuscule, Absolutely. minuscule. 
these things. I know. Don't you guys have a, a dollar cutoff? Yeah. You don't sixty thousand dollars. Sixty thousand dollars. Yeah. I can assure you that oh. Hyundai fuel cell car is probably a no hundred and fifty thousand right. no. dollars. We can assure you that some of the electric cars are in the same boat that we've tested. You know. So I mean, we have to. We have to sort of. Okay. This is the stated price. This. This is the pricing that that a consumer that they're selling them to consumers. And you know, I mean, in order to really keep furthering technology and, and evaluating stuff. I mean, we have to basically say, okay, these are some of the basic criteria, and it, it, it falls under the criteria. I mean, it's, it's technically priced at about 50000 $60,000 under our price cap. It was $50,000 on the sticker. We know that Hyundai's taken a bath on it. We, yeah. we, that's, that's a given, but we really do want to recognize their achievement. I mean, this is like a moonshot. And driving the car, you know, this is a... This is, a Tucson, a five-passenger CUV yeah. that is, you know, everybody's buying mid-sized CUVs, and this this car just drives like a basic car. You can't, I mean, there's no funky displays or anything. There's a speedometer and there's a fuel gauge, and you know, braking and acceleration feels did, just like did a regular. You get gas enough engine. of a test drive where you had to go fill the tank. Yeah, we too, well, I mean, it started out uh, with uh, 265 miles of range. So we had, you know, I mean, we had a good amount of driving in that. And then, uh, you know, after the refills of, uh, what, 5,000 PSI rather than 10,000, we, we got, but the, the standard consumer is going to get, you know, close to 300 miles range on the thing. And um, it's just, yeah, it, it's just an absolute spaceship inside, but you never know it. You lift up the hood, you, you, an average person wouldn't even see anything unnatural there. You could put anybody in the car and drive it. It's really quiet. And it just, um, it, again, it's it really, I think, just surprised us all. And as far as the infrastructure issue, I mean, we, we, we discussed it, but the, but the fact is, you know, it's a chicken and egg thing. And look, they're doing the part. Now, automakers are, are making really credible vehicles. The infrastructure has to get there. And, you know, by the way, we've done this with the electric light bulb, with cell phones, regular phones. I mean, a lot of other times when the, when the product is good enough, the, infra the infrastructure gets developed. You can say the same thing about just plain battery electrics. There's a lot of them available, but I just ran some numbers at Ward's Auto, and 0.4% of the you know of the sales through the first 10, 11 months of the year are battery electric vehicles. So they're I mean, doing better than hybrids did in the beginning. True. They, their, their sales are growing faster. Yes, they are. They're, they're, there's no question about that. Tiny base. For, well, as Tom said, a, a fraction of a it percent is, of is. sales are electrics. Uh, Christy, let, let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum. You guys have mentioned uh, the Hellcat V8 a couple of times. I'm sure there's some other high-performance engines that were on the list as well. Well, we had the Corvette V8. I'm really the wrong person to ask about V8s because I like them. I enjoy them. <laughs> She's uh, a Volt owner. I'm a Volt owner, and I do prefer the greener side of Well, Well, then the let's industry. go back. What was your take on uh, the fuel cell car? Oh, I enjoyed it very much, and I also had the opportunity to drive the Toyota Mirai recently, um, which was not in the competition because it doesn't come out until next year. Um, so I, I did have that comparison to give, uh, or, or had some feedback. Had, had some yeah. feedback, and uh, you know, uh, I found the the Tucson fuel cell much much quieter, less like a science experiment than 
perhaps the Mirai. In the Mirai, you sit on top of the fuel cell stack, and in the Tucson fuel cell, it's in the cargo so, area. Well, they've got no. Well, the, the actual tank is in the back, underneath the cargo area, and then the uh, the stack and everything is under the hood, under just the hood. like an engine. Yeah. And there's a battery underneath, I think, yeah. the passenger seat. And presumably, the Mirai, the Toyota fuel cell car, will be better when it does reach the showroom. But, oh, yes, but yes. what I'm curious about is, uh, I've driven early, earlier fuel cell cars, and uh, while quiet, they can make buzzes and there's fan noises. Did you hear that sort of thing? Not in the, not in the Tucson, no. Yeah. It was remarkably quiet. And I understand it's a very difficult thing to do. So mm-hmm. it was another thing that pushed us toward awarding them. So suddenly, you start to realize the only noise you're going to hear is, you know, tire, uh, road wind noise, noise tire wind noise, noise, and you're going to hear other cars around you. Yeah. It's something that you get used to, you know, when you're driving a lot of electric vehicles. Um, and then I noticed also some of the gasoline cars that we drove, the engines are just so quiet that I started realizing when you're on a highway doing 60 miles an hour or so, who goes 60 on the highway, well, Drew, I, testing? I know, I know, you're right. Enough, Tom, but, on the Southfield well, Freeway. Yeah, whatever, I'm just saying at a, at a decent clip, all cars kind of sound the same now, whether it's an elect, because of wind and road noise, I mean, the engines are barely working at that speed. You know, a gasoline engine's barely running, it seems like. So... The NVH seems so finely honed these days that it's They've taken out so many other sounds. You hear other, I mean, you you hear all the sounds that are a little harder to filter out. Okay, back to the big V8s, Tom, this Hellcat engine, 707 (laughs) horsepower. I mean, that's just staggering. It is staggering. And the engineering that they put into this engine, it's, it's astounding, really. It's not just a Hemi with a massive supercharger slapped on it. They did all sorts of work to this, you know reinforcing the bulkheads in the block and reinforced crankshaft and, you know, super strong uh, alloy pistons and, uh, you know, the stats. They, they can spew all these interesting stats about this engine. You know, cr- it cram- the, the supercharger at wide open throttle will cram 6,800 gallons of air into the, you know, into the, uh, uh, the uh, combustion chambers. Every, I, I heard that it takes 80 minute. horsepower just to run the supercharger. Just to run the supercharger, that's correct. Yeah, yeah it's so... Um, you know, we had a 650 horsepower engine on the list a couple of years ago, the, the Shelby GT500, great package. Uh, and that was kind of my benchmark. That engine is no longer available in the U.S., so it's, you know, it's not in the competition. It was not in the competition this year. Uh, so we only had the Hellcat, but our memory took us back to, okay, the only real competitor for this would be the GT500. Um, and, uh, Which had 668 horsepower. 662, six, whatever. Yeah. 660? I'm sorry. Yeah, it was, uh, not so, 700. Yeah, it was not 700. 700 yeah. Yeah. Um, and my recollection was that the GT500 was harder to drive. It was, it was lighter, and you know, straight-line acceleration was one thing. Turning onto Woodward from a neighborhood and accelerating was a total... I mean, it was, it was scary. It was hard to keep that thing straight, uh, you know, in a straight line. The Hellcat is so much easier to drive. Uh, 700 pounds heavier than the GT500, and you think mass is a bad thing, but in this case, with 707 horsepower, it's a good thing. It keeps you, it keeps you rooted. Um, two-stage fuel pump in this thing. So, they made a we, huge effort to make it really civilized. I mean, yeah. that's the first thing when somebody asks me, "What did you think of the Hellcat?" That's the first, I, I, I tell them, "You won't believe." how easy it is to drive, how civilized it is just driving if you just want to put around town or whatever. And if you want to crank it up, (laughs) hold on. That's right. (laughs) 
What else besides the Hellcat performance-wise? Corvette, yeah. Corvette LT1. And, and, you know, on that engine, it's caught some flack before because it's all people say it's a Cayman block engine. It's, it's, you know, old-school technology or whatever. But when you look into this engine, it's extremely advanced. And and, and here's a case where when you don't have, you know, four inches of overhead uh, valves on top, makes the engine very compact, lowers the center of gravity, and really it's, it, that makes the whole design of the Corvette possible because the engine's so low and compact due to that, you know, cam and block architecture. And then, of course, it's, it's loaded with all the new technologies such as direct injection, um, uh, cylinder de- deactivation. We got in, in some, what were we averaging, some really good fuel. 22 miles per gallon. 22 miles per gallon, some of us did. In a Corvette. In a Corvette. And, of course, there are those Corvette owners who like to brag about reaching 28, 29 miles per gallon uh, just because they can. Well, if they, and if they really trip, baby it. And on a long trip. And, on the you know, highway. And, and, on the highway, I've seen 30 MPG. Heavy, okay. yeah, yeah, because Top Gear is, pre- top gear is pretty, pretty high. You know? And so uh, here is, you know, you've got a car that, again, is, is pretty darn fuel efficient. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, also a total beast, but something that, you know, you can actually use as a daily driver and, and um, is, is, you know, a flexible car. And that, that figures a lot in our, in our judging. Okay, three cylinders, fuel cells, electric, turbo fours, monster V8s. What are we missing? The only here? thing that we missed pretty much was the diesel. We had the Ram 15 Eco diesel, the uh-huh. V6. Returning winner, last year it was on the list. Uh, we had three diesels on the list last year. This year, there's only the one. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a phenomenally flexible engine. Um, fuel economy is the, is the big play there. You know, knowing that you can get 24 miles per gallon in a full-size pickup truck, you can, do, even, you can do better, you know, on the highway. I'm talking real world yeah. in, in, in terms of our testing. 24 miles per gallon is not that difficult. Um, it's hard to do that in a full-size pickup truck these days, uh, so much weight. Uh, but, um, you know... Fiat, as part of that partnership with Chrysler, makes this engine available, and um, there's a price premium. You know, it's a it's a fairly steep price premium. We considered that, we discussed it, um, but bottom line is, 20% of Ram 1500s go out the door with that engine, and um, you can't ignore that. People people know what the price is, and they're paying it. Yeah, and that made us happy because last year that engine was really controversial, and a lot of people were really skeptical whether people were going to get it. You know, a, a six-cylinder uh, V6 and a light-duty diesel. And uh, there are a lot of skeptics out there. And so after we drove it, we said, hey, man, this is really good. We think people are going to buy it. And we were right. So. <laughs> it's always nice to be right. Yeah. <laughs> Christy, final thoughts? Overall wrap-up, what's your, your final quick impression here? Um, I like our list. It's, it's diverse. I think most people got at least one of their favorites on yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. um, of course, we all have some that we're, yeah. we're licking our wounds over. Um, I can't wait to see what's ahead next year. We've got some really interesting uh, entrants that we know of, some that we don't know of. Yeah, um, yep, yep. Well, with that, we're going to have to wrap this up. But Drew Winter, Christy Swinesburg, Tom Murphy, thanks so much for coming in and sharing all your findings from Ward's 10 Best. Thank you. Thank you.